there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Dude. Nate. Quit it. Nate, stop. Nate. What? <laughs> stop it. What? <laughs> What's the matter? You're driving me mad. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you hate beautiful music. I mean, it's not that I hate beautiful music, but I'm trying to concentrate here on doing a show together. And I. It's just, re- it's really distracting. Wow, you are grumpy today. <laughs> I'm songwriter Charlie Harding, joined by musicologist Nate Sloan, and today on Switched On Pop, songs that drive us mad. Music seems to have that ability. Music can rub you the wrong way. It can get your goat. It can turn you into an octogenarian curmudgeon decades before your time. That's my world. (laughs) It can make you slightly insane. What is it about certain songs that drive us mad? We have divided up three ways in which music can drive us crazy. The first, earworms. Earworms, a.k.a. melodies that burrow deep into your brain and don't let go. Charlie, I'm sorry, can you stop playing that song? (laughs) Dude. Okay, earworms. Is each one unique in its methods of torturous catchiness, or is there something that ties these diverse hooks together? Spoiler alert, it's the latter. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's the proper use of spoiler alert, I just have to say. Don't spoil my spoiler alert. I'm sorry. I think that there are exactly three ways in which an earworm burrows itself into the insides of our brain. The first is it's got to have a really simple, catchy melody. Yes. The second thing is it has to repeat that thing over and over and over and maybe provide a subtle variation to reset the loop that it starts. Okay. And I think that the third thing that we hear in a earworm is that it has some sort of unique tonal quality, something that defines it as its own work. All right. Simplicity, repetition, parentheses, and variation unique tonal quality all right i'm finding this persuasive so far let's see if we can apply these to a few legendary hooks
Okay, she drives me crazy by the fine young cannibals. What, 1980-something? Okay, <laughs> we can work with that. Let's test our theory against this jam by the FYCs. So do you want to sing it for us? <laughs> Only if you'll do the high <laughs> harmony. <laughs> she drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we got that. <laughs> so let's apply the theory of simplicity to this song. Okay, so we have kind of a three-note motive, followed by a little vocalese, this ooh-ooh. Then we get a repeat of this melody. With some slightly different lyrics. Like no one else. Right. Hoo-hoo. And then... It sounds like we're going to get another exact repetition. Close. But they flip the script and end not with the now familiar ooh-ooh, but this other ending that resolves to the same note, but an octave below. I can't help myself. Oh, it's actually the same. Basically, the ooh-ooh and the myself are the same notes, just one is an octave higher than the other. Just transposed down. So we're getting almost the exact same material in a slightly different variation. So just different enough that we find it very satisfying, I think, when this does when this melody doesn't do exactly what we expected it to. So already we've actually covered number one and number two. It is the simplest melody. Bum, 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 bum. Very simple. And it just does that over and over and yes. over. And then it resets its loop by giving us a subtle variation. Ah, so, okay. So we've already hit simplicity and our other category of repetition and variation. So lastly, unique tonal characteristic. For me, the unique tone of this comes in the singer's voice his inflection on this phrase she drives me crazy is very specific okay it's not she drives me crazy it's she drives me crazy <laughs> he is crazy <laughs> or something uh, some approximation of that it's not the way you or you or i would say that or sing mm. it normally it's the way this it's particular person yeah. sings it yeah, yeah exactly and that is just another thing that makes it lodge in our minds oh. because it's not it's slightly off if you hear a cover of that song maybe you don't react to it in the same way hmm. when you hear the original and you hear that that's <laughs> slightly nasally tone it's like this instant earworm attack so she drives me crazy it, it's almost self-referential right it's like we're going to drive you nuts this thing's gonna get stuck in your ear and <laughs> right. it, i'm not sure that it's a person driving you crazy it's actually the melody of the song uh, designed to drive you crazy anthropomorphizing <laughs> the hook itself yeah, definitely that's deep so one song does not prove our theory. I Nay. Okay, so I've gone back to my middle school dance days. <laughs> We've talked about that before. It's a really low period of my Oof, life. Yeah. With the Backstreet Boys, and I want it that way. And I think I think if we could take one of the biggest mega hits, the Backstreet Boys, I want it that way, and apply it to our theory, then surely it must hold. All right. Let's see. Let's put let's put I want it that way under the the earworm test. I want it that way. Tell me why it ain't nothing but a party. Tell me why it ain't nothing but a mistake. Tell me why I 
I want to argue that this song absolutely meets these criteria. Tell me why. I will tell you why. <laughs> Cri- criteria number one, simple melody. What you got right there. Tell me why. Three, another three-note melody. This time rising up instead of down, but yeah. very simple, yeah. easy to sing, memorable. And similar to the, the Fine Young Cannibals, we actually have a little bit of a melody, counter-melody thing going on here, where before we had ooh, ooh, we right. now have ain't nothing but a heart ache. Heartbreak? Close. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. All yeah. right. So tell me why ain't nothing but a heartache. Okay. So you have this melody, counter melody. So we've checked the simplicity box. Number two. Repetition and variation. Right. So he's done one line. Okay. Next line is exactly the same. Yes, it is. A little bit of that. Tell me why ain't nothing but a mistake. Ain't nothing but a mistake. Ah, okay. Third time. Tell me why I never So after the third, tell me why. Tell me why. <laughs> after the third, tell me why. There's a subtle variation, right? right? The third, tell me why is going down instead of up. Yeah. And then we get this new melody, this sort of new material. I never want to hear you say. And then we get the epic line, which just hammers the whole thing. And right, we've had like repeat, repeat, right. subtle variation. And then they just hammer it home. I want it that way. Yeah. Thank you, Nate. Yeah. <laughs> so, number three, unique tonal quality. For me, this comes in the word why. Okay. Because, again, the way you say the word why, you don't say it why. Tell me why. <laughs> you don't make it three syllables mm. and end it on the phoneme E. Mm. But in this song, you do. And I think that's this trick that, again, makes it instantly memorable. It's that thing scratching on your brain. <laughs> yeah. If they just said, tell me why, maybe it wouldn't it attack our cerebrums with such ferocity. But because of this why it just lodges itself in your brain because, it's again, it's kind of off. It's kind of weird. It is unforgettable. Backstreet Boys, I want it that way. Totally unforgettable. <laughs> always stuck in our heads. And it's simple. It repeats itself with subtle variation. It's got a unique tonal quality. I think it meets the mark. So two songs down. There are many millions more out Surely. there. And let's put them all under the microscope, as you're listening to pop hits, think about, is this song corresponding to the golden rules of earworminess? <laughs> Simplicity, repetition, unique tonal quality. And if we're wrong, then yeah. we might have to introduce another theory. Okay, so what do you got? About hooks. Well, I suppose the other theory would be that, that there's no universal rule for what makes a song catchy. In fact, the only thing that makes a song catchy is just hearing it over and over and over and over again, being exposed to that song so much. So not just the repetition of the melody within its own form, but by the just mass production of radio being blasted in our ears and we can't turn it off. So you're so you're asking here, is there is it about exposure or about the construction of the song itself? Yes, and we might come up with a way to test this yeah, out as you, well. How would you test this? What would well, you do? I guess... What you would do is to see if there's nothing special about these melodies in terms of their catchiness and only that we've just heard them. Right. 
then theoretically any melody could become catchy if you heard it enough. Okay. So our goal then would be to create the least earwormy melody possible <laughs> and see if we could get it stuck in our heads. So this is the least likely case. Yes. And if just continued exposure to this unhookable melody makes it get stuck in our head, then perhaps it, like you said, it's not about construction, but just about exposure. Okay. So then I'm going to have to give you a little challenge. Okay. Can you write for us a melody, which is neither simple (laughs) nor repetitive. Right. And it is completely unlistenable such that it doesn't have any unique tonal quality rather than come up with this ourselves. Okay. Perhaps we dip into the repertoire of avant-garde classical music full of complex, dissonant, completely unmemorable melodic motives. Perfect. This is actually exactly when I decided to drop my music major in college (laughs) (laughs) was when we got to this stage because I could not stand it. Yeah. So let's take, who do you want to do, Charlie? Do you want to do Karl Heinz Stockhausen? Do you want to do Pierre Boulez? Or do you want to use Georgi Legati? You got to give me some of that Stockhausen. Stockhausen. Okay. Let's take a piece like Klavier Stück 10. Okay. Okay. Famous piece. And let's see if we can take this melody. We'll no. give it, well, at least give it some lyrics that we know are catchy. That makes sense. And I'll sing these lyrics with Stockhausen's melody okay and see if this if we can't get this into our heads okay so what's 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 the lyric she drives me crazy ooh, ooh. Ah, i think the test then is can it be repeated <laughs> can that get stuck in your head <laughs> if you play that over and over will we remember it all right well can let's... you even sing it twice <laughs> she drives me crazy ooh, ooh. <laughs> she drives me crazy ooh, ooh. she drives me crazy ooh, ooh. i kind of feel like they weren't the same first of all <laughs> Second, it is effective in driving me crazy, but I could absolutely not sing that melody back to you. Fair enough. But let's step away. Okay. We're going to step away from our microphones. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to ask you if you can remember it. How about that? Beautiful. All right. It's a good test. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. 
you can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Okay, so I feel like uh, I, I, I feel confident that the original Drive Me Crazy and I Want It That Way are thoroughly stuck in our heads. Not so certain about the Stockhausen. We'll get back to that. <laughs> right. I think it's time to move on to reason number two that music drives us mad. I feel like one of the great tricks to writing a good pop song is to have a full understanding of cliche, to know how to master the things that we all know and want to hear, and then twist them just right so that we hear them in a slightly new context. For me, that is sort of the magic of great pop songwriting. Yeah. Pop music, by definition, is formulaic. Of course. But perhaps when we yeah. hear a formula that isn't inventive enough, isn't or- yeah. original, isn't tweaked in some way... It makes us a little upset. Yeah, so this is reason number two, when the formula goes sour. Yeah. One way that I hear the formula going sour is when the same producer produces different songs for different artists, but they sound the same. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So this, this is what makes you mad. This drives me absolutely mad. Yeah. I think one of the best examples, and a fairly well-known one, is Dr. Luke, great uh-huh. producer who wrote both Katy Perry's California Girls... Kesha's TikTok. TikTok, California Girls, it's the same thing. This is frustrating to you. This gets in your head because when you hear a new song, you want to hear something new. I want something fresh. You want something that takes the formula and challenges it in some way. Right. In particular, that these two songs were on the radio at the same time. I'd get frustrated when I heard one song and then the other. Yeah. You know, the formulaicness and the standardization of pop music were exactly what drove the philosopher Theodore Adorno crazy. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> so he was uh, known as a member of the Frankfurt School, yep. writing about culture, but he he's one of the great music critics of all time, though. He has a particularly grumpy cadence, which comes out when he talks about things like pop music. Yeah. Because he didn't just have an aesthetic issue with the formulaicness of pop. He actually had some moral objections to this phenomenon. He wrote, quote, Listening to popular music is manipulated not only by its promoters, but, as it were, by the inherent nature of this music itself, wholly antagonistic to the ideal of individuality in a free liberal society. Standardization of song hits keeps the customers in line by doing their listening for them, as it were. I don't agree with this. Good, because he's a jerk. (laughs) I don't agree that 
pop songs are coming out on the same assembly line. I, so where I agree is that when things come too close to sounding like they're off the same assembly line and that assembly line maybe has a few defects on it, they don't have good quality control, that drives me mad. Right. When there's too much lead in your pop song. <laughs> yeah. And it needs to be recalled. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to take that metaphor any further. No. Yes, I think the textbook example of this, what we might call the pulling back the curtain phenomenon, is one of the most universally reviled songs of the past few years. Rebecca Black's Friday. It's Friday, Friday. This song, made by a 13-year-old girl and a music production for hire company called Arc Music, churned out this little ditty about the magic of the weekend, probably intended just for her a few of her friends maybe yeah of course instead it dropped on youtube and instantly went viral racked up millions upon millions of views and was kind of an obsession where people couldn't get the song out of their head i think but also couldn't stand it right like made people angry full of ire It so perfectly follows the formula that we set up earlier, but it does it to such a degree without any of that variation that we need to be successful that it gets stuck in our head and it does so in a way which kind of pushes all the wrong buttons. It's almost like the uncanny valley of popular music. Because at once, it's entirely catchy and memorable for all the reasons we enumerated earlier. got the right chord progressions, the right synthesizers, all those things you expect from your pop song. Yeah, totally. And it has, you know, these like pump-up choruses. It has the requisite verse by a rapper in right. the you know the the third quarter of the song before a final chorus. So chilling in the front driving, cruising, I could just picture her thinking about I gotta write a bridge. The song is about Friday. Where do I go from here? Let's go back a day to Thursday. I think if she were really doing this well, she would have modulated down a whole step, brought the whole song down a key to emphasize the going back in time, but she didn't make that creative choice. Again, we get something that we expect via the formula. Here's a little bridge, right? Right. right. This is a moment in the song where we see like another perspective, another it like deepens our understanding. There's a musical change that makes the return of the chorus that much more powerful at the end. So it's doing everything right, but the actual material of it is so insipid. Right. <laughs> And just maddeningly phlegmatic, it upsets us. But not just because it's bad. I think because it exposes the formula. Right. Mm. It reveals what we maybe implicitly understand, but try not to say out loud. Right. That this stuff does come off an assembly line in a lot of ways. And it really is only the small, brilliant details of invention and creativity separating these songs from one another that 
make them objects of joy and something we treasure and not something that drives us completely bonkers. So two ways in which the formula goes sour. One, a producer reusing their material in slightly new context for different artists. Right. Two, completely exposing the formula, giving us the ingredients and seeing, oh, you don't want to know how the sausage is made. Right. I think third is uh, even worse than a producer copying their own material is when people just copy each other's material over and over such that you get these lyrical tropes and the worst offender has got to be country music. Oof, yeah. There's an amazing mashup on YouTube by a columnist at The Guardian, Grady Smith, who writes about country music and popular music. And it shows how all country songs back in 2013 had the exact same lyrical tropes. So we had... Uh, Wait, let me guess. Blue Jeans. Blue Jeans. Alcohol. Beer, yeah. Okay, alcohol. <laughs> so maybe country music drives certain people crazy, and I know people for whom this is true. Yeah. Country music drives them crazy because it's kind of incestuous. The same person who put together that YouTube compilation recently wrote an article for The Guardian about country stars who don't actually like their own records, who admit that if they could, they would write more in the style of Hank Williams and old traditional style country music because that's what they really love, but they don't feel there's actually an audience for it. And so they write songs like um, John Deere, John Cougar, John 316. Is that real? Yeah, that's oh, no. Keith Urban, man. Oh, yeah. man. We'll throw up a link on our site so that you can listen to the rest of that. What's the opposite of greatest hits? <laughs> the lowlights of country music to 2013. So we've established that pop music is successful in taking a formula and playing with it ever so slightly to put it in a new context for us. And when we get too close to that formula, when people copy themselves, when people expose what it's made of, and when people copy each other, that formula sours, and we, we throw back, and the music drives us mad. Unlike earworms, where I'm kind of like going a little crazy, I actually just get angry when I, when I hear the formula going sour. That anger you feel may only be eclipsed by our third category of music that drives you mad Let's call it the shock of the new. Music that you don't understand that is too foreign, too different, too outre for you to even process. Often our reaction to that feeling of the shock of the new is rage. (laughs) Musical rage. And this reaction can apply to music throughout history and of all different genres. Right. It's not maybe about the sounds themselves. No. But about their relation to the sounds that you know. Yeah, it's about the listener's exposure to whatever the music is of that moment. For the shock of the new, let's use the most divisive genre of music we have right now. It has to be EDM, electronic, electronic dance, dance music. That had to happen. Nice wobble, Chuck. (laughs) Thank you. And I can't think of a more paradigmatic musician in this field than Skrillex. Absolutely. It's in his name. You don't even have to hear his music to know what it's going to sound like. You just have to hear his name. Yeah. Say say the word Skrillex at a dinner table and watch someone (laughs) sitting there just cringe. (laughs) Just hearing it. Yeah, just shudder. 
So what are you going to play for us? Let's take a song like Bangarang. Bangarang. All yeah. right. And let's focus. Let's, let's start from the beginning. Okay. So what are we hearing? I mean, so far, I don't think we have that shock of the new yet. Okay, but the tension is building. Uh-oh. What's going on? I don't know. I'm scared, Charlie. Uh-oh. <laughs> What's happening? It's new. No. It's oh, in your face. What is that I sound? No. <laughs> but I feel it in my bowels. Oh. <laughs> wow, that is insane. I'm, I'm in shock. Yeah, Future I've never shock. heard anything like that before. If no. I put myself hearing this music for the first time, it's like, what is that? Right. It's right. not, nah, I can't process it. Yeah. So what are you hearing? This tone, this kind of pulsing tone. It's a, a sonority that it doesn't come from from the natural world. Yeah, it's very inorganic. Yeah, it's not a violin or a piano or a voice or even those instruments and then altered in some way. This is like it's a whole something new... I can't put my finger on. It's something that's created in a Petri dish in a lab. It freaks me out. Or like a demon has unzipped the heavens and like <laughs> crawled its way through and it has screamed in your face. Yes, or that. <laughs> <laughs> The sound of Skrillex is literally the sound of the new. Right. It's something that only exists in the 2010s. We hear it and we hear change. We hear mm, yeah. upheaval. We hear tectonic plates shifting and it's very unsettling because change is scary. But just as much as Skrillex is the representation of the new, this is not a singular moment. This is part of an ongoing evolving process right the process of new sounds bitter vitriol that rises to meet them and then eventually those new sounds becoming mainstream and acceptable right and then being usurped by some new sound (laughs) and then the people who used to hate that sound who now love the sound react bitterly with vitriol and then the cycle continues this has happened always all throughout history totally every kind of music and to back up that assertion you just have to flip through the pages of one of my favorite books that the encyclopedia of musical invective (laughs) by nicholas j slanimsky okay so what's this about and i just have as a quick sidebar okay i've always felt a kinship with dr slanimsky yeah because our family name sloan used to be slanimsky oh when my ancestors migrated here and then they shortened it at Ellis Island to Sloan. So I've always wondered if we're related somehow. Okay, earlier you were accusing me of being a curmudgeon, but now I think you're <laughs> admitting that within your family roots, there is the most curmudgeon-y of critics in the musical world. I, this is, a, the tables have turned. So in Slonimsky's Encyclopedia of Musical Invective, he basically goes through every great classical composer. Okay. From Beethoven to Varese. Yeah. And has collected all of their worst reviews. Okay. (laughs) And every one of these composers had a terrible review. Don't think for a second that Mozart was spared by the 18th century Salzburg equivalent of Pitchfork. (laughs) They laid into him just as much as we lay into Skrillex. Of course. So do you have a favorite review? Well, one that stood out for sure was 
actually from the Russian author Maxim Gorky. Okay. Let's just say he was not into jazz. 1928, this was his take on jazz. Listening to the screaming music for a minute or two, one conjures up an orchestra of madmen, sexual maniacs, led by a man stallion beating time with an enormous phallus. So that was his understanding of jazz. This was clearly music that made him mad. I don't even know what to say to that. It is a unsophisticated, pretty unveiled racist critique of jazz. In 1928, someone like Maxim Gorky just is driven mad. This is the newest music right. that anyone has ever heard, and it scares the crap out of him. Yeah. But then fast forward 30 years later... And you get to a movie like Jailhouse Rock starring Elvis Presley. Yeah. And jazz, this this terrifying orchestra of maniacs beating time with an enormous palace, <laughs> has now become the, the province of stuffy uh, old middle class people right. sitting around a fireplace and talking about altered chords. This is what they have to say. I think Stubby's gone overboard with those altered chords, don't you? I agree. I think Brubeck and Desmond have gone just as far with dissonance as I care to go. Oh, nonsense. Have you heard Lenny Tristano's latest recording? He reached outer space. <laughs> <laughs> Someday they'll make the cycle and get back to pure old Dixieland. I say atonality is just a passing phase in jazz music. What do you think, Mr. Everett? Lady, I don't know what the hell are you talking about. Now, rock music is the shock of the new. Elvis is sweeping jazz to the side and in the process, making a lot of people very angry. You were going to sing us a, a song at the end. We listened to this song a number of times. She Drives Me Crazy, Stockhausen, number 10. <laughs> right. Music... Carl Heinz Stockhausen lyrics, Fine Young Cannibals. Right. Do, can you remember it? Not a note. She drives me crazy. Ooh, ooh. As close. Uh, <laughs> well, jury's still out on that one. All right. <laughs> so we went out hunting for the songs that drive us most mad and asked our listeners on Twitter to send the best candidates. And we put together a playlist of the songs that drive us crazy. The best on here has got to be Kylie Minogue's I Just Can't Get You Out of My Head. Kind of like the fine young cannibals, she drives me crazy. This is a self-referential, recursive song in which the melody gets drilled into your mind over and over and over again. Such that the song is clearly not about a relationship. It's just about the earworm itself. We'll have a link to that playlist on our website, www.switchedonpop.com. Also, I'll be performing a live version of Switched On Pop in Los Angeles on Sunday, November 1st at 8.30 p.m. at the Lyric Hyperion Theater as part of the You Get a Spoon event hosted by comedian Chris Duffy. Tickets are available on Eventbrite. Just search You Get a Spoon LA. And we'll, of course, post the link in our show notes for this episode on switchedonpop.com. 
Our show is written, edited, and produced by the two of us, and our design is done by Luke Harris. Tune in in two weeks when we delve deep into the work of a pop star we've missed for too long. And until then, as always, I'm Nate Sloan. I'm Charlie Harding. Thanks Thanks for for listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docuseries Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.